Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Believer on the fifth um, practice, which is mission, this morning, and that's uh, it, it, we, we've been trying really hard um, to to get you to focus on these issues, which are around discipleship, the things that we actually see in the life of Jesus. Now, whenever I start to try and prep a message, what I do is I uh, I try to think about. I try to think about what I'd like you to leave with. That's the way I start. and might be a bit weird, but it's me. And uh, so I always think, what, what, when people are going out of the building today, after the service is over, what would I love them to be going out thinking? And so this was the little thought that was in my head, was how to live a cross-shaped life. How do we live a, a cross-shaped life? How do we live in light of the cross? And how do we do all that? Now, um, the, the, the survey has been really, really good, but I found this one actually quite daunting. I'll run through four of them here really quick and let you see. In the first question, it was sharing my faith in Jesus. Uh, with, my faith in Jesus with others is important to me, and it was great that 40, 95% of people agree. If you take that blue and um, the green, there's around 95% of people agree it's important to share your faith. Now, there's some who disagree and some a small percentage who strongly disagree, but that's what surveys are for. Everybody's um, voice is important. I would love to talk to people who think it's not important because you obviously think it's not important for a reason. Um, the second question was this one, do you feel um, comfortable or confident um, to share your faith uh, with others? And um, 45% of you said you were confident, um, 50% not confident in sharing your faith, and 5% not at all. Again, interesting. Um, and, and, and I'd love to speak this morning a little bit to that 55% in that second question. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that um, 55%, all right? And then the third question was, um, um, how often you speak about your faith? And... Um, 25% of the people who did the survey said daily, 49% said weekly, and 19 said monthly, and 10% in a round said almost never. Again, very important answers. And, um, and then the, the next question, which I think probably leads on from that one about why people are not confident, um, this one here is, do you feel equipped to lead someone to faith in Jesus, and 33% said very, and 55% said somewhat. People who do surveys said we shouldn't, we've got a bit of feedback saying we shouldn't put somewhat in because it doesn't really mean anything. It's sort of an easy way out, um, but it, it probably means, well, yes and no. That's probably what it means. It's an in-between word, and 11%, not at all, all right, um, which is, again, interesting, and to that 66%, I would love to speak to you this morning, and I'd love to read a passage of Scripture um, in Luke chapter 9. If you want to turn to it in your Bible or flick it open on your phone, on your app, I'd love us to read the, the a little bit of a passage in Luke chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 23, and the context of this is 
Um, the mission the disciples have just come back from a missionary journey, and um, Jesus is sort of bombing a question at them and saying, well, guys, who did, who did everybody think I was? And Jesus, I suspect, is asking them, who do you think I am? And they came back to Jesus and they said, well, some said you're Moses, some said you're Elijah, some other prophets. And I have a little sneaking suspicion that the disciples at that point of the journey, because it's early on in their journey, are a little bit unsure who Jesus really is. They've caught their hearts and there's something charismatic about them. But they're saying, well, some people say you're Moses and Elijah. I think they're saying, we're not that sure who you are. Because then Jesus asked the big question and he says to them, well, who do you say that I am? And you can get, see the nail-biting, uh, well, what's the right answer here? And then, of course, Peter, who we, we, we sort of know Peter, he, he engages his mouth before he clutches his brain, all right? But he gets it right this time. He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, of course, Jesus responds to that and says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but actually the Spirit of God revealed this. And that's the context of this passage, because then Jesus goes on a little bit, and he tells them that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to... Um, lose his life. And then he says this in verse 23. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, guys, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Um, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, listen to this, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. Let me read that again. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, we'll get back to this passage in a moment or two. We're looking at mission and we're trying to think about true mission. We're trying to think about this question. What is the true heart of mission? How do we live a cross-shaped life. Well, um, I, I love movies. I, I enjoy going to the cinema. It's a place where I feel I can on detach from the world, and I, I just enjoy movies. I went to see Frozen 2 yesterday. Took some kids with me. They thought I was bringing them, but um, um, no. The, so, and I'll not spoil it on you, but it's worth seeing. Um, so, I, I, and I love movies. I love, and there's a great movie, Mel Gibson's true sort of depiction of the true story of Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know whether any of you have seen it or not, but it's an excellent movie. It's a, not for the faint-hearted, but it's a powerful, powerful story of uh, a guy, he was a private in the army called Desmond Doss, D-O-S-S, Desmond Doss. And um, it's a true story, as I say, of this guy who won a Congressional Medal of Honor despite refusing to bear arms in World War II. He wouldn't take up a gun and um, on religious grounds because he didn't believe it was right. And when I watched this movie, it, the true heart of his mission, the true heart of what he truly believed in actually affected everything he'd done and everything on the external was affected by the internal. And that's the true heart of mission. And Doss's true heart for mission and justice led him to be drafted and ostracized by his fellow soldiers for a stance, but went on actually to win the respect and the adoration for his bravery and selflessness and compassion. After he risked his life without firing one shot, without burying a gun, he saved 75 men in the Battle of the Okinawa. I think how you pronounce it. So 
So when I, when I began to think about that, I began to think, what, what motivated Doss? What motivated him to be this man who was so true to his conviction and so true to his mission that would, 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 would not step outside that arena? And I don't want you leaving today with a tick box of what to do. We could tell you what you need to do, all right? Um, Nicola, who heads up our compassion work, if you want something to do, she will give you plenty to do, all right? Um, because there's plenty to do. But, but you know, what, what, what I'm trying to say is we need it done out of the right heart. Has to be done out of the, mission has to be done out of the right heart. Because if, I, if we were just to give you a tick box of everything that we wanted you to do and not tell you about what you need to become, I don't think we were doing our job right. And so I hear a lot of talk um, today about people and what they're going to do and what they are doing. And the older I get, the more I realize that God is more interested in who I am becoming than in what I do. And so with this in mind, as we begin to teach in mission this week and next week, we need to start with God because that's who God is. And once we see who God is, it affects our understanding of the world, it affects our understanding of the church, and more importantly, it affects our understanding of ourselves. Because the ultimate picture of God in the Scriptures is that of a father, a father whose deepest desire is to build a family around him for eternity. That's what he wanted to do. And so we see that in the beginning. We could read Genesis 1 and 2, how God created Adam, told him to multiply and fill the earth, and, and he was going to have this relationship with him. He would come down in the cool of the day. He would walk with Adam. They would talk about their day together. And then, of course, we know the tragedy of sin entered the world. And, and even with the tragedy of sin entering the world, the, the God has this deep heart of impulse that just goes after people. He, he is this... So, so this... True holy love has the impulse to go get. That's what I'm trying to say. True holy love has the impulse to serve. True holy love has the impulse to sacrifice. That's what true holy love does. It's always for the benefit of the other. And that's who God is. So God's a missionary. And theologians, long before us, came up with this little term, Missio Deo, which means God the missionary, all right? So God is a missionary. So since the beginning, there has always been a powerful movement from God towards his creation. Before the fall and even after the fall, there's always been this heart of movement towards his creation, all right? Always sending. So in the beginning, even before he created man, he sent his spirit upon the form of the deep, before, um, when, 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 sin when sin came, he, he sent his spirit. He sent uh, Abram to be the father to a nation that would change things. He sent his word through the prophets as we begin to look through the God story. He sent his son into the world to save us. He sent his spirit in Acts 2 and Pentecost to fill us. And now he's sending us this so he's ascending God. So sending right from the beginning. And here we have it, Jesus talking to the Father in the Lord's Prayer, the real Lord's Prayer in John 17, not the pattern prayer, but the Lord's Prayer where he says, Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, Father, I am sending them. I'm sending them into the world. So mission's not simply an added activity to the church, but quite the, the, the very nature and heart of the God we worship. That's what I'm trying to say. So this is who God is. Therefore, to be the church is to be primarily and fundamentally caught up in the mission of God. And the word mission is an interesting word in the Bible. Essentially, 
The, the word is referring to a full-bodied movement outwards. So the word mission is always talking about going out. So in the Latin, it means to be sent. It's a word to be sent. It's a sense of a mission or um, movement outwards. And even the Greek word apostello is translated as the word mission. Both of these words mean sent. So we are an apostolic people. We're a sent out people, which means we're caught up in God's heart, transformed into his likeness. And, uh, and intrinsic to his likeness is an impulse to give and to go and rescue. So that's where it comes from. That's basically what it's saying. And this is the Great Commission. Of course, you know this, Matthew 28, go, to go into all the world. So our primary purpose as a body of Christ is to participate with Christ in the mission to save the world. That's our job, all right? And we want the love of Christ to compel us to go and um, so we're not just a bunch of Christians that gather and do a wee happy clappy club, all right? That's not our mission, all right? We will be a community of love, a family and mission, and we gather to scatter. Frank Damasio says that so brilliant. He says that we gather on a Sunday and we fill and strengthen up. And then he says we leak out into the cracks and crevices of society to make Christ known to others. That's the job of the church. So our success then isn't actually in our seating capacity but in our sending capacity. So when, it, when, when the survey tells me that 45 or 50% or 66% in that last one, is not, they're not confident in sharing their faith, I'm thinking, uh-oh, we have work to do here. We have work to do here because this is really important because um, we're, not a, we're, a, we're a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints, all right? not just a social club and a hotel for saints. This is a, a hospital for sinners, for people to come that are broken. So it's a church where anything can happen. We say, come Holy Spirit. It's a church where anyone is welcome, where we say, all who are thirsty, come and drink, all right? So this is the missional view. And we see the original destiny and dreams of God that have got stolen by the enemy and fractured and broken by sin. And, uh, and we understand this because Dave spoke on this verse a few weeks ago in Ephesians 2.10, where his handiwork, where his masterpiece, some of the versions put it, created in Christ Jesus, look, to do good works, all right? God created us to do good works, all right? And he's prepared for us to do. So our job is to, is to carry grace and truth to help people understand that they're sinners like we were, but like Jesus, we need to love them back into that proper place of relationship with God, all right? And the pattern throughout the whole Bible uh, is that the dream is bigger than the brokenness. <laughs> the dream is always bigger than the brokenness. And even though the brokenness is never invalidated or, 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 or minimized, it's the economy of heaven. And the economy of heaven is that love is stronger than death. Calvary love is stronger than death. The cross is stronger Love is stronger than death itself. That's the whole message of the Bible. Hope is greater than despair. Mourning turns into dancing. That's the story of the Bible. I'm going to continue on that next week, but I want to backtrack, all right? I wanted to lay a little foundation of who God is because I think it's really important to do that. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it next week, all right? I'm going to go back to our, our, our reading. I'm going to go back to how to live a... a a cross-shaped life. How to do that? And in our Luke 9 passage, where the disciples are actually struggling with this, Jesus is saying to the disciples three, th three simple things. He said, if you want to you, you be true to your mission, you need to deny yourself. 
You need to take up your cross and you need to follow me. So, so if I just tell you what to do, then God gets your hands. But actually the whole time God wants your heart. Because if he can get your heart, then he'll have your hands. Loads of people give him their hands, but don't give him their heart. And, and so you're doing, I suppose what I'm saying is your doing comes out of your being. <laughs> your doing, we're human beings, not human doings. So your doing comes out of your being. And, and, and I, 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 I think this is what I'm trying to say. If it's just application and it doesn't have transformation, then it just becomes a cheap imitation. All right? If it's just application or it's just something to do, and it doesn't have a transformation of heart, then it's actually just a cheap imitation. It's, it's not real, all right? And so, anybody remember Sherbet Fountains? I said this in the first service, and I got, I got three texts. I've got three photographed texts of Sherbet Fountains. Apparently, they're on sale on Black Friday. There you go. Do you remember the Sherbet Fountains with the licorice stick down the middle? Anybody remember? Now I'm giving my age away. Well, well, and, and what happened when you poured sherbet into your mouth? Do you remember what happened when you poured the sherbet into your mouth? It's sort of like it, it, you poured a bit of sherbet into your mouth. Your mouth felt like it was going to explode. It felt like your, your mouth felt full. And then in five seconds, it was gone. And it all boom, 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 and then it was gone. And you thought, holy smoke, where did that go? And, 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 and it was good for taste, but hopeless for the body. <laughs> There's no nutritional value in a sherbet fountain. Sorry to, sorry to disappoint you, but there's no nutritional, it's good to taste, but no nutritional value at all. And I fear, I fear that the church today grabs at a sherbet fountain faith, all right? A faith that has a fleeting pleasure to the flesh, but no lasting value to the soul. A, 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 a mission that just makes us feel good about ourselves, because I serve that person, because I give that person bread, because I give that person money, because I, I help that charity, I feel good about me. That's not true mission. That is not true mission. Real mission looks like the cross, not like a sherbet fountain, all right? And what am I saying? I'm saying again that our doing comes out of our being, and if God is your heart, he will have your hands. And what it looks like to have that life transformed by the cross is a, is a life that's marked by the life of Jesus. We begin to look like him. We begin to talk like him because we spend time with him. So my hands are driven by my heart, which is totally transformed by the cross of Jesus Christ. You get it? Our hands then become driven by our heart, which is totally transformed by the cross. Now, let me talk a little bit about that, all right? So Jesus says, as he, the disciples are struggling a little bit with this, he's saying, uh, if you want to follow me, then you've got to deny yourself. If you, want to, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. That's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? This is something that the world and culture will never ask you to do. <laughs> the, the, the natural flow, the natural flow of every human being is towards self-centeredness and self-gratification. That's the way we're born. We're born self-centered, like a little baby. They're beautiful but they're self-centered. They don't think about you at three o'clock in the morning when they want to dirty their nappy or, or, or I was going to say poo their nappy, but you're not allowed to say that in church. Um, or, or they want to feed. They want to feed. They don't think, well, mommy's tired. Daddy and mommy's tired. I'll wait till seven in the morning. Kids don't do that. They're, they're born in that shape and in that form. And, and, and we live that way. If it feels good, do it. 
You don't need to work hard to be selfish. That's what I'm trying to say. All right? This word deny has the connotation of resist. All right? If you, like if you don't re resist the pavlova every day, you're going to put on the pies. That's just the, you know, all right? If you do nothing, you will end up in a self-centered life, not a God-centered life. You just need to do nothing. You just need to do nothing. A God-centered life will require denial, whereas a self-centered life will require a pleasuring of yourself. Just do nothing. And if you don't believe me, ask any parent who's had a two-year-old, right? Even the way they say it, mine. You know, the, even the, when, the, when they say the word mine, they pull to themselves, don't they? It's like even the action, like mine, mine, mine. The problem is people grow up with this mindset. If you don't discipline that in the proper way, then at 16 and 18 and 20, they're still saying mine. And some people never get out of it. Some people live their whole lives with this sort of mind mentality. And Jesus says, if you're going to do mission properly, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to resist the natural current. You've got to, you, it's hard to, and here, here's the thing, it's hard to deny something that's nice. Like, sure, but fountains were nice. And hear me in this. Some sin is nice. If it wasn't nice, you wouldn't do it. If it wasn't nice, you wouldn't want to do it. If it wasn't enjoyable, it wouldn't capture you the way it does. Of course it's nice, all right? But sin always ends in destruction, always, always ends in destruction. You only got to ask King David when you get home to heaven or Moses or any of those guys, and, and when we start to play about with it, like, like, like doing funny stuff with the firm's money or even the firm's supplies isn't going to end well isn't going to end well. When, when, when you start to look at someone else's spouse, that's not going to end well if you don't deal with it. When, when, when one drink leads to a bottle or two, where does that lead? That's not going to end well. On and on I could go. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Satan will take you further than you want to go. He will make you stay longer than you plan to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. He will take you further than you ever wanted to go, make you stay longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. That's what he does. And that's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. All right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What does that mean? It means that there's a payment to sin. Every time you sin, there's a payment. You mightn't think it, but there is. Every time sin enters your life, there's a payment. The wages of sin is death. It'll lead to that very thing. And by the time you've tried to get away, it has such a grip that you can't get loose. I started to think about this yesterday or Friday in the study. I began to think of how many school friends I've buried. Think of three or four of my school chums that were in my class at school that I buried way too young because something got a hold, and by the time they tried to let it go, sin began to pay out its payment, and death took its toll. And there's something about this. I, I don't know whether any of you have ever saw the, um, anybody ever saw the Truman Show? Ever saw the Truman Show? Truman Show came out in 1998, and, uh, and the producers who produced the, 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 the Truman Show, the guy who produced it all, built the whole thing around a little baby. All right, so Truman's born, 
and he, he, he builds a whole set around this little baby. Now, the thing about this little baby is nothing is real. Nothing is real. His, his, his friends at school as he grows up are actors. His next-door neighbors are actors. The, the, the people who work in the diner that he goes to every day are actors. His best friend is an actor. His first girlfriend is an actress. All, all just a, a fake scene around Truman. And as Truman gets older, little, little, little cracks start to happen in his world. And he, he's walking up the street and he thinks, oh, that person said the exact same thing to me at the exact same time yesterday. That car drove past at the exact same time. And little cracks began to show Truman that something wasn't right. I love this because what happens when I get into a fake reality, when sin grips a hold of my life, sometimes I love how God works. He, he, he puts little cracks into the society and he puts little cracks that you begin to look through and you begin to say, uh-uh, this is not right. If I don't deal with this, this isn't going to end well. If I don't, if I don't go to work on this right now, it's not going to finish well. And so what happens is um, Truman is convinced that something's not right in his world that he's living in and he, he decides he's going to escape. And he gets, I'm racking it for you if you're going to watch it, but um, he gets into a boat and even the lake he's on is, the sea he's on is fake. And, and the, what he can see in the, in the distance is just a, it's, it's actually just, it's just a set. And so he gets into his boat and he begins to row and he begins to try and escape. And as he begins to try and escape this world, this fake world, the producer, the creator, the prince of the power of the earth starts to throw some stuff at him. He brings rain. He brings a storm. He brings thunder. He brings lightning. He's all of this to try and overturn Truman's boat. Sound familiar? I can tell you, let me give you a word of warning. As soon as you decide to try and get out of the fake world that the enemy has placed around you, as soon as you get into the boat and you begin to row and you begin to try and get away from that, the enemy will throw everything at you. He will throw rain at you. He will throw a storm at you. He will throw wind at you. He will throw everything with you. But God sent a little bald preacher pastor to tell you today not to stop rowing. Don't give up. Because there's a way out of this. There's a way out. And the devil would love you to think there's no way out. As I read through the survey, it began to capture my heart because there is a way out. Now, here's what happens. Truman gets to the, Truman gets to the end of the set. And when the boat hits, he realizes it's, 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 it's fake. And he, he, pulls, he pulls a hole in the scene and he looks out into a real world. And as he looks out into the real world, that's the first time the producer of the show speaks to him. And the, and the producer speaks to him and asks him what he's doing. And Truman asks him, says, who are you? And he says, I'm the creator. I'm the producer. And then Truman asks this great question. He says, who am I? Who am I? And the producer of the show says, who are you? You're the star. You're the star. Oh, man, when I read that this week, one of the greatest lies of Satan is if he can get you to believe you're the star, you will never get to the cross. 
If he, if he can get you to believe that you are the star, you will never get to the king. You will never live a cross-shaped sacrificial life if you keep thinking you're the star. That's called pride. And the Bible says God resists the pride. Here's the problem. Sometimes we're turning up as a star. I'm here to help you because I've got it all together. And I'm here to serve you because I'm Mr. Right. And you're obviously so broken. Now, we don't say it that way. But sometimes I see it in my own heart. A pride that creeps in that we think we're better. I, a guy who was in, uh, up in Uri in Concilios and uh, suffering from addiction. And he said, Phil, the first thing, the first thing that made me, he says, for years, he said, I always thought I, I, I had this beat. I always thought I could control it. And he said, I used to look at the people and the, and down and out, and he used to think, well, at least I'm not like them. And he said to me, and Sister Concilio, was this what he said to me? He was sitting on a bed of four people, and the other three guys were completely out of it. Their minds were melted. And he said to me, when I walked into the ward, he said, for the first time, Phil, I looked and I saw, that's me. I'm not the star. I'm not the star. That's just me. Listen to tell you something. People don't need a star turning up at the door. They need a savior. And they need somebody that carries that cross-shaped life that represents Jesus so that when you turn up, they get Jesus. And that's what it means to deny yourself. He says secondly, and really quickly with the last two, let me do this if I can. Um, he said that, uh, he says, you deny yourself. The second thing, he says, you take up your cross. Do you notice what it says about taking up your cross? Anybody note it? Daily. I, I'd actually read that hundreds of times, but I never actually noticed it before. Daily. I actually hurt my ears when I, when I said it out loud. Daily. Every day. Every day. I need to remind myself. Every morning I get up, yesterday's blessing isn't sufficient even for present need. <laughs> so every morning as I get up I have to take up my cross deny myself take up my cross and remember I'm going to live a cross-shaped life I'm not the star I'm not the star this is, this is what we do and you know what happens as you, as you lift you know uh, I, I've never done weights some, some, before somebody says it alright I've never done weights but you know what happens when you, if you do weights a lot if you do weights a lot there's things start to grow they're called muscles. They're in here somewhere. But uh, they're called muscles. And, and as, you, as, you, as you lift, you begin to get spiritual muscle. And every day, as we, as we get into the daily practice of devotion, as we get into the daily practice of, of living our lives before the Savior, not self-gratification, and we take up our cross every day, something begins to happen. Something begins to change our life. And then he says, as you do that, as you deny yourself, as you take up your cross every day, he says then, follow me, follow me. I love this, follow me, follow me. It doesn't come easy. Don't you know, some of us are better at wearing crosses than carrying crosses, ouch. We're good at wearing them, but not good at burning them. We're not called to wear them and there's nothing wrong with that. We're called to burn them. We're called to carry them. And then he says, follow me. And, and so you... you you said to Jesus, well, where are you going, Jesus? I'm going to follow you. Where are you going? Well, I'm, I'm going to the broken. 
and the lost and the marginalized and the blind and the destitute. That's where I'm going. All right, okay, Jesus, I'll, 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 I'll go with you. Well, if you go with me, then you have to do what I do. Yeah. You know, I had an old aunt, and she was actually an aunt of my mom's. My, my granny on my mom's side died when I was four, so I don't really remember her, but her sister was our old aunt, Sissy, we called her, and she was a, like our granny, never married. Um, and uh, she, would live, she would stay at our house a lot, and uh, she, she used to watch Columbo. <laughs> she loved Columbo. And I used to watch her watch Columbo. I used to look at her and think, what a waste of time. I used to think, um, I used to think, I said, Aunt Sissy, what are you, what are you watching Colombo for? She didn't know what's going to happen. You know he's going to win. You know he's going to find out who done it. What's the point? And she used to say this to me, she a lovely, wee, gentle voice. She used to say to me, son, uh, you don't watch Colombo to see if he's going to win. You watch Colombo to see how he's going to win. Listen, I'll tell you something as we bring this to an end. You don't follow Jesus to see if he's going to win. You follow Jesus to see how he's going to work it out this time. You, you, you follow Jesus because you, you want to see how he's going to bring you through that grief. You follow Jesus because you follow Jesus because you, 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 you wonder how he's going to bring you through that addiction. How he's going to bring you through that bodily ailment, that sickness, that, that, that bad medical report that, is, that has come through your letterbox. That's, that's why we follow Jesus. We're going to say, how did, how's he going to work it out this time? Because I can rest assured, listen to me, Sarah's going to come. We're going to finish with a song because I'd love to pray for you. Um, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The battle is not yours. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And when we get our heart fixed in this, we begin to see true mission comes out of what we become, not actually just what we do. And so we're not turning up to everybody's door as the star. We're turning up at everybody's door just as a broken person who allowed Jesus into their life. And you're saying, if he give me hope, he can give you hope. If he did it in this broken vessel, he can do it in that broken vessel. What I'd love us to do, I'd love us to stand. We're going to finish. But just as we finish, um, I, I, I love, I'd love you just to bow your heads. And then what I'd love you to do, if you're, if you're struggling with a sickness in your body and you're wondering how to get out of this storm at the minute, I'd love you to make your way to the front because I'd love to pray for you. If you're in this place and you're struggling even with your faith and you're saying at this moment in time, you know, I, 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 I've been in those other boxes many, many times. I've struggled to share my faith like you have. I've, I've drove home some nights thinking, why didn't I just open my mouth and speak to that person? How did I miss that opportunity? I've done it a hundred times, just like you have. So if you're struggling in that area at the minute, I'd love you to come. So if you're struggling with a sickness, I'd love us to get to prayer for you this morning. If you're struggling in an area of faith, maybe just saying, God, I need extra courage. I need something more. God, I just need a fresh touch of you this morning. Then I'm 
I'd, I'd love us just to just to come. Will you come? And here, what? I need you to know. I need you to know this morning that whatever you, if you feel like giving up or you feel like giving in, remember that your strength comes from the Lord. When you're down and out and you can't pick yourself up, remember that your strength comes from the Lord. Come on ahead. Come on on up across the front if you would. All right. Remember that when you feel weak and overwhelmed, remember that your strength comes from the Lord. Don't you dare give up. God's got some amazing things to do in your life. During the battle, the Lord will fight for you. During the trial, the Lord will strengthen you. During the test, the Lord will encourage you. You will be more than a conqueror because you're part of a royal priesthood. You're part of a family. And the king is the king and he's your king. So God, I pray this morning that as we begin to worship, God, as we begin to realize your blessed assurance that Jesus is mine, that the people in this room will grab hold of that truth and they'll be able to say, this is my story. This is my story. This is my song. So God, I pray right now that you would minister faith into this room in Jesus' name. Not too late to come up. And come up as we're worshiping. We're going to sing this song as our as our closing prayer. Our, our, our ministry team are moving along the front. Anybody else from our ministry team, if you're not on duty even, if you want to, somebody stand and let's just love to make sure everybody gets prayed for. And and it's not out of the words. Sometimes it's just being a conduit, just saying, Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, work. Holy Spirit, do what you do today. So let's, let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.